This is episode 112 of the Beyond the Food Show. And today we're talking to Dr. Deanna Minnick all about how to eat the energy we want to become. My name is Stephanie Dozier. I'm a clinical nutritionist. And at 35, I was trapped with severe anxiety, panic attack, obesity, and my health completely collapsed. I needed solution and the journey began. Each episode of the Beyond the Food Show, we bring you an expert or a message to help you achieve your health goal, unlock your self-confidence, and live a better life. This episode of the Beyond the Food Show is brought to you by the Beyond the Food Academy, which is a platform strictly for women who want to learn what is really behind their food choices and how to end their food obsession. The Beyond the Food Academy is an online learning platform and a community Focus on helping you discover why you have the behavior you have that compromise you achieving your goal, your health, and your happiness. The Beyond the Food Academy is how you will move up to the next level of freedom and happiness in your life. You can currently register for the waiting list at stephaniedozier.com slash academy. The next session is scheduled to open in February 2018. Today on the episode, we're going to talk about food, colors, and chakra, and how we need to eat the energy we want to become. And yes, this is going to include the C word. Now, what is the C word? The chakra. Chakra. I say it again. I've avoided saying that word on the podcast, although It is deeply intrinsically in me. And if you've read the number one book that I always recommend to everyone, The Anatomy of the Spirit by Dr. Carolyn Miss, you know the word chakra. But I had this fear of being, yeah, let's say it, judge because I use the C word, which is for some people, woo woo, right? This spiritual word that really doesn't resonate with anything in modern science or modern world. Well, I found this lady, Dr. Deanna Minich, which I actually been following for years, and I'll get into that during the interview, who actually has demonstrated the link between the chakra, this old ancient medicine view on energy in the body, and the modern view with the endocrine system on how the energy are actually processed in the body, how our emotion, our feeling, our energy are intertwined with our hormonal system, our endocrine system, which is exact correlation with the C word, the chakra system. And that's what Dr. Deanna Minich is going to talk to us about it and how with the simple outlook of color, we can link the two and actually modulate and regulate the energy in our body, which will lead to better mood and emotion regulation and mindset and how our food through color will help us achieve that. Now, this is all beyond the food, beyond like calories and macro. It's a completely different approach to nutrition that I 
live with on a daily basis that I practice with people that I work one-on-one and in my program, but I've never talked about it yet on this podcast. So this is a real joy for me to share with you this interview. So if you want to take advantage of some of the offer that Dr. Gianna is going to talk about, you can simply go to stephaniedoze.com slash 112 for the show notes and the link we're going to talk about during the interview. And she's got a very cool offer at the end with an advanced mind-body nutritional course, which I believe a lot of you listening right now are ready for, because you know the basic of good, healthy nutrition, and you are willing to look beyond the food. And Dr. Deanna's got this great platform for you to learn from. So are you ready to learn the correlation between food colors and chakra and how we can modulate our energy with food? If so, let's do this. Welcome to the show, Dr. Deanna Minnick. Hello. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. It's a pleasure to have you here. And I'm like a fan right now for people that are listening right now been following Dr. Deanna for many years. I actually did a dissertation on one of her first book back when I was in holistic school. And it's an honor for me to be spending an hour with her. I'm like a big fan. So, so happy to have you here. Wow. You know, it's just amazing how we all really interconnect and we inspire and inform people in so many ways. And you and I have similar teachers. And so mm-hmm. we're within this web of inspiration and information, which is always beautiful to behold. So thank you. Thank you. And it is the concept of beyond the food that we're both teacher of. And my work in this world of beyond the food in part is because of Carolyn Miss, the anatomy of the spirit. People have heard me talk about that many times. But one of the book that followed that that I've never talked about is your book chakra food, mm-hmm. which twisted my perspective on nutrition, like nothing else and, and helped me create that concept of beyond the food. And part of the central element around that is the whole what we talked about the C word, right, the chakra word. What's your take on this whole chakra perspective, what it is for you? And how do you use it in your work? The word chakra or chakra, depending on how you'd like to say it, is derived from Sanskrit and essentially it means the wheel. And it's really, it beckons back to Ayurvedic medicine and many other mystical East Indian traditions in which they noticed that there was a lot of activity in the body in certain places. And so if you look in Western medicine, open up a textbook and start to look through the different body systems what you would see is that the chakra system is very much aligned to the neuroendocrine system of the Western body. So we've got the root chakra, or we have the adrenal glands, the place of fleeing or being frightened. We have the sacral chakra, which is all about reproduction. So that would be the ovaries and testes, the places of creativity in the body. You then have the solar plexus chakra, which I call the fire I have kind of code names for each of these. And so that's the pancreas. The pancreas is an endocrine organ that spews out a lot of enzymes to help us digest and transform. And then the heart is connected to the thymus. The throat is connected to the thyroid gland. Then you have the third eye chakra, which is essentially the pituitary gland that hangs in the middle of the head. If you were to do 
a dissection of the brain area, you would find it right there in the middle. And so no wonder we hear this talk of the third eye really mm-hmm. focusing in the middle of the forehead. Well, it's the pituitary gland, which is the master gland for all of these other glands. And then we have a small gland, which is, even though it's small, it's quite relevant. It's called the pineal gland, which I associate with the crown chakra. And it's the center of light and how our body regulates light in the finer energies of the day, of the seasons, of the planet. It's more cosmic. So, you know, it just depends on who I'm talking with. I can speak to an audience of medical doctors and I don't need to say the word chakra, but I can still convey the concept of the, what I now call the psychoneuroendocrine system. And within my personal work, I call these the seven systems of health. So I think it's a language thing. It's ancient versus modern. It's mystical versus scientific. But you know what? There's nothing new. And we're all just really tapping into concepts and traditions and story, myth, legend, all of this that has been around for a really long time. So it's just about using words to help people to relate to it better. But the essence remains. Absolutely. And that's a beautiful explanation. And I can totally relate to what you're saying, the vocabulary we use to define what is innate in the human being, which is energy, differs from the belief that people have around could be medicine or health in general. And the fact that you have this approach with the endocrine system makes it very palatable for science people. Exactly. And the woo woo people will like the chakra word, right? (laughs) Well, you know, I feel like I'm a hybrid. I feel too. I mean, I've been a scientist for all my all these years, getting a master's, a PhD, and you know, jumping through those hoops. But all the while I was doing that, I was also a spiritualist. I had spiritual mentors. I was doing yoga. I was doing reading. In fact, I mean, always by my bedside, I would have books that were both about the body and then about the spirit. And then finally, I just figured, you know what? I cannot be pure to either of these because to me, I see them as braided together. We are one and we are made of many different compartments. And I'm just happening to connect into the science and the spirit of it. And I think in the 21st century, we're starting to see more of that. Like as an example, you know, being that I do still monitor the science and I'm still very research oriented, I'm constantly looking at what are the studies to help us to show that spirituality is really important for our health. And one of the things that I have come across even more from my personal experience than the research is creativity, because mm. creativity is one of the things that has healed me, which is why I'm so glad that you have this show focused on beyond the food, <laughs> because food itself just didn't get me well. And so I had to move into other domains. And I think that's another place where we have a lot of commonality is that we did do the pure nutrition thing. And it didn't get us the whole healing that we were looking for. And we had to both move beyond the food. So what does it mean for you, Dina, beyond the food? Beyond the food means that there's more than food. And just like we are more than our bodies. Mm -hmm. When I'm looking at the seven systems of health, when I think of food, it resonates to our physical self, which is the root, the sacral, and the solar plexus chakras. You know, that's the physical part of us. You know, that is the lower body It's our immune system, it's our sense of survival, fleeing or fighting, it's our sense of digestion, you know, it's really putting us into that physical realm. 
what isn't accounted for with food unless we take it into that realm is our non-physical self. And that is sometimes what I refer to as the energetics of food. And as I was doing all this study on nutrition in my 20s during my graduate school days, I don't know if it was coming to me intuitively or what was happening, but I was thinking, why am I not seeing anything about the energies, the properties of certain foods and how they change my mood? How do the particles, the quantum physics of this food, the energetic signature, how is that changing me? I mean, I realized that I needed a foundation in understanding the macronutrients, the micronutrients, the phytonutrients, and I know that that's all important. But then I almost started to see holographically beyond that and say to myself, there's more. And when I was tuned into that, I began noticing patterns in people that I would see. And I was also in conjunction with school. Once I got out of school, I became a clinician in addition to being a researcher. So, you know, what is science? Science is a quest for the truth. And sometimes you have to set up these studies in order to really box in the truth to understand it. And I think that there are many limitations of studies, of course, because not all truth comes in the form of science. But what I was observing was what I would call patterns. I started to notice that, wow, certain people with certain body types needed certain foods, or some people would avoid certain foods and they had certain emotional things going on. And being that I had already had some understanding of yoga, I took my first yoga class when I was 19. I started to go back into the Eastern traditions. I started to do some sleuthing around and realize that some of this was talked about in those traditions, but not a lot. You know, I remember looking at Gabriel Cousins' book called Spiritual Nutrition, which is a really thick book. And it gave me some general orientation to kind of along the lines of what I was thinking, but I, I really wanted more. And, and then I would read Carolyn Mace. Mm -hmm. Carolyn Mace is, you know, you like her as well, the anatomy of the spirit. And she was more spiritual and not so scientific. And I couldn't find anybody that was straddling both. So in 2009, I, I felt this calling to put together what I was observing with foods and energy patterns and how the colors of food, how the properties of food can really change us, not just in our body, but in our spirit. One of the big elements in all the books that I've read from you, and I've had the privilege of reading The Rainbow Diet, which is coming out January 1st, is the pattern of colors, both in food and the energy and into the body. Oh, yes. How do we help people like the listener understand how colors relate to our choices of food and how that can impact the energy in our body and how we feel, how we make choices differently, how our reaction to situation may be different, strictly based on the color aspect of food. That's an excellent question. And that's such a focal point of everything I do yeah. is saturated in color. So one of the things for me as a nutritionist and, and working with different foods and diets is I always found that when people eat a certain way, it divides them, it separates them from other people. Mm. Diets tend to be dividing. They're not yes. unifying. And one thing I started to notice was that what is unifying? You know, what is something that we can all collect into no matter our eating preferences? And one thing I found was color. Mm. Color is a unifying force. Color is creativity. 
It's around us. It's an environmental stimuli. It impacts our physiology and our psychology. If you look at it from a quantum physics perspective, what is color? It's frequency. It's wavelengths of light. And those wavelengths of light, when we eat them in food, break down into certain compounds and essentially give us energy. So color is physical and it's psychological. It's powerful. And it has the ability to really change people's patterns. So what I observed was that there were certain groupings of colors and certain alignments with body systems as well as thoughts or emotions. So for example, I'll take one that is very popular Please. and it's red. Yeah, red is <laughs> it's an interesting color. And I, I kind of laugh about it because recently I did this whole thing where I got into each color very experientially, painting the color, wearing the color, thinking about the color, surrounding myself with the color to really get the energy of that color. And red is one that is, whenever I'm lecturing and I go out and I talk with people, I'm always asking, well, what's your favorite color? Red is one where people either really like it or they really don't like it. They kind of veer away from it. And what's interesting about red is that if you look at the science of red, it is a very alerting type of color. So it creates a reaction. That reaction can be one of anger. It can be one of pause or stopping abruptly, just like the stop sign is typically red. It can also be something that evokes us emotionally and is very passionate. And so it's like an overwhelming color. The color red and red foods, what I have found, now again, this is just what I have found and how I'm seeing everything sync together, is that there's a connection with our immune system. Mm -hmm. And we have lots of issues with our immune system these days. I mean, autoimmune disease is on the rise, allergies, food intolerances. I mean, you name it, our immune system is under attack, especially with more and more chemicals coming into the environment. And so it's kind of like, we're in this time of constant assault. I guess you could look at it that way. You can also look at it as, you know, a lot of these things are strengthening our immune system. So by tapping into, if you look at red foods, red colored foods like cherries or certain apples, apples are high in quercetin, which helps the immune system. Vitamin C in general helps to drive our immune system and our stress response. And a lot of these red colored foods, as I was looking into them, tend to be high in a lot of these protective, whether it's vitamin C, different phytonutrients to help us with our immune and stress response. So that's kind of what I'm thinking in terms of the colors and how things sync up. It's something that unfortunately was not being taught to us anywhere. And, and one thing that you said at the beginning where diet... I can't even say divides people because people like to put a tag on themselves, I'm paleo or I'm keto. I think it's something that can be very negative because we attach ourselves to a group that relates to the same food by rejecting everything around us. Where colors is universal, does not have a language, does not have a label. So it's a very interesting way of looking at it. Plus it does help with the physiology of the human being and help us to a certain degree, help us heal ourselves by focusing on the color. Because to, exactly. to your point, like immune system, and I'm sure we'll dig more into this, but the immune system linked to the root chakra to the color red by 
choosing different food, it can help us balance those imbalances in our body. Am I correct? Correct. Yeah, that's how I see it anyway. That's within the paradigm that I live in. And, you know, I feel like eating has become so darn complicated where people are reading book after book and diet after diet, and they're really focused on their head. And what I believe it leads to is a lot of analysis paralysis, meaning that after a while, people are just so confused. They're so depressed. They feel like they did something wrong. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, no, you know, maybe there are other blind spots that you have into how you can get better, you know, just something that you're not seeing. And it has nothing to do with your food. I think that diets are good for learning more about yourself. Mm-hmm. I don't see diets as necessarily negative. In fact, I have followed a lot of diets throughout my life. And I have felt that every time I did this, I was learning something either about food, about my body or about my emotions. I mean, it's not a, a terrible process to go through it. It's it's about how we work our way through it. So does the diet control us and own us? Or do we leverage the diet therapeutically in ways that can heal us? So even though I have all this study in nutrition, it's so funny that here I am decades later saying to people that the best advice I can tell you is eat colorful plant-based foods. And that doesn't mean that you have to be a vegan. In fact, I feel like plants are the other unifier. And so instead of saying food is medicine, I like to say colorful plants are medicine. Mm -hmm. And they really are. I mean, I'm sure that everybody listening right now eats plants in some way. We may not eat the same plants. Like I don't eat a lot of tomatoes. I'm not into nightshades. But you know what? I eat plants and I had plants for breakfast. And it doesn't even matter. I mean, maybe some of us eat a lot of them. Some of us eat a little bit of them. It doesn't matter. We don't form ethics based on that. Usually we're forming ethics around our protein choices, like if we're going to eat animals or not. So again, I'm always looking to figure out what is unifying. And quite honestly, Stephanie, if you and I were to, to like arm wrestle on the literature of plant foods, would there would be no contest because plant foods in general, eating mm-hmm. fruits and vegetables leads to decreased rates of chronic disease across the board. It doesn't matter what it is. I mean, everything from cancer, cardiovascular, type 2 diabetes, prediabetes, metabolic syndrome, cognitive issues. I mean, you name it. Mm-hmm. I was just looking at a study the other day because I monitor the literature on fruits and vegetables. It's almost like there's nothing that I can find. <laughs> I mean, it, it helps our immune system. I mean, just going right through all of the seven systems, it's all right there. It's going to help us tremendously, even to our longevity. So a plant-based lifestyle full of fruits and vegetables and colors, because that's where we find most of our colors is in plants and vegetable, is what would potentially help us live a more balanced life, mind and body. Am I correct? You know what? Yes, you are. And I've actually seen this borne out in people. So, you know, how we eat, here's one of my mantras. How we eat is how we live. How we live is how we eat. So if we eat colorfully, it should flow that we live colorfully. And this really happens. I have done program after Mm. program with hundreds of people and now thousands of people where 
essentially that happens. So let me give you an example. After just doing a 21-day program, I do this program, it's called Whole Detox, in which we do 21 days, three days for every color. So three times seven is 21 days. And after the program, or even during the program, people have these revelations. And they might say, oh my goodness, I was wearing white, navy blue, and beige and black. And I just realized that I have no color in my wardrobe. Or Oh my gosh, my furniture in my house is all black and white. I need to start changing this. I need more color. There's this one woman who went through the program and she worked in a gray cubicle at work, right? Just a small cube, very boring. She dressed it up with all this color. She felt better. So when we eat better, chances are we're going to live a more colorful life in whatever way that manifests for us. And so it just brings our attention to color. And I think if we're eating colorful foods, like this morning, I was trying to assess like, okay, what colors am I getting? I had pomegranate seeds or arrows. So this was red. And in my mind, I'm tabulating and just kind of like tracking, like, did I get all my colors? Even my three-year-old niece Hmm. now knows that her aunt is all about the rainbow. And we make rainbow smoothies together. We talk about the rainbow on her plate. And you know what I like about something simple like eat a rainbow is it doesn't have to be heady, but yet there is so much information there. It's just that we don't all have to know about all those phytonutrients and how they're all working to heal us. It's just, it's going to help us. It doesn't matter if we know or not. (laughs) That's amazing because to the lady in her cubicle who was all gray and white probably and from black laptop around her bringing color and feeling better, like in her mind and her body, I would advance, and I'd like to get your opinion on that, that if we eat different colors, our different systems in our body will catch on to that vibration of that color and feel better as well. Oh, absolutely. Thank you. You just connected the dots, right? It's kind of like when we eat those colors of food, how do they translate into Mm -hmm. our body? How do they translate into feeling? So yeah, I'll give you an example. So orange, if we eat more orange colored foods, these orange colored foods could be anything from papaya to mango to oranges themselves to persimmons, so many different orange foods, carrots, you know, the obvious. Essentially, these foods tend to be high in orange colored carotenoids. Carotenoids are a certain class of plant compounds. And what was pretty remarkable is that in my research of orange is that I found out that for ovulation, so for women's hormones and hormone balance and even having good, healthy ovulation every month, we need beta carotene, which is orange. (laughs) That orange is connected to progesterone in the serum, at least in animal studies. So what's really interesting there is how the color of the food translates into some hormonal connection, some body process that can make or break us, quite honestly. You know, if we're not feeling in the if we're feeling out of sorts, if we look at PMS, we look at PCOS, we look at dysmenorrhea, all the issues around fertility. Mm-hmm. And to think that, yeah, I mean, just something as simple as orange foods can feed us with what we need to be creative. And I'm looking, as you're saying that, to my chakra chart that's hanging on the wall. And that's all related to our second chakra that happens to have the color of orange around it. 
Yes, which is correlated to the ovaries and the testes from a neuroendocrine standpoint. Yeah. Very interesting. So let me ask you a question. So we do have a fair number of listeners that are either from a background of having done years of paleo lifestyle or what's most recently known as a ketogenic lifestyle, which, as you probably know, a lot of heavy fat and a ketogenic, a lot of protein in the paleo lifestyle. How would that impact our color system and our neuroendocrine system? I think it's really interesting to see these societal trends and when they crop up. Mm-hmm. So let's just, and I actually focus on this a little bit in my new book, The Rainbow Diet. So if we look at when were the trends of high protein eating, high protein diets, well, one of them that, and I even did a search on this just to look at the graph and kind of look at like when were high protein diets all the rage? Well, one of the trends came up around 2001, mm-hmm. the 2011, you know, there were certain times and many of these times were connected to times of crisis. It's almost like when there's societal crisis, whether it's terrorism or issues with feeling attacked or war there is a sense of connecting into protein. Protein makes us feel safe. I mean, look at our body. What you see is protein when you first look at us, Mm -hmm. at at each other, right? You're seeing my hair, my skin, my nails. I mean, most of my outer coat is going to be protein, just like yours is. And so that defends, protects, and creates safety. In terms of mood, protein stabilizes. Protein blunts a lot of the glycemic response. So In my mind, protein is connected with the root. It's connected to our bodies feeling safe and secure. And so oftentimes when I'm looking at people doing paleo or, you know, I'm reading that at a different level, I'm thinking, okay, that's interesting. So maybe they need to have more protein. They need to ground more into their bodies. They actually do need to feel a little bit more secure because, you know, carbohydrate, we'll we'll get into it, but I want to take you through the red, orange, and yellow so the, the protein and paleo, I think of as strengthening the root, strengthening the body, strengthening the physical, especially for people who don't feel very grounded. Going too far on paleo, however, can make people feel really stuck energetically because yes. it's too much protein. And just think of an ox or an animal getting, they just keep digging and, and they can't get out of their own mud. Mm. This is the image that I have as somebody who who's not eating for their energy. They're just eating according to what it says that they should do in this book. Now, keto, keto is all about fat. Mm -hmm. It's mainly about fat. In the seven systems that I've organized, fat is about the sacral chakra, which means it's about how you flow. It's about, do you go with the flow? Are you creative? I mean, fats are beautiful in the way that they are part of our structure, much like protein. They're in every cell membrane. So they create communication amongst our body organs and systems. So one of the things that happened in the 1990s is that we had this whole attack on fat, Mm -hmm. right? We had the fat war where it was, everything was fat free. And what happened is everything became sugar full. And so with fat free, what I was looking at symbolically during that time was that Fat to me correlates with emotion. It's the part of us that moves with the flow. It's the water element. I mean, look at fats and oils. I mean, either they have such flexibility to go from being solid or liquid. 
when moving in between, depending on the temperature or their exposure. And so when people are following keto approaches, this is, again, to ward off a lot of the frenetic feeling of carbohydrate, Mm -hmm. but takes them, I would say people on keto definitely are very connected into the body because it is really resonant with that sacral chakra. And there's also, the only thing I've noticed though, is that there's a sense of when you go overboard on it and it's not balanced, there's a sense of craving. There's a sense of longing. There's a sense of like, I don't know how else to describe it other than not being fulfilled. And so feeling like there's something more, like they're missing something. And sometimes these people following a keto regimen are missing something, You know, I think that a lot of these diets are meant to be therapeutic. Yes. You know, and not to be used long term. Keto is one of those things I see as a short term therapeutic approach. And then maybe once somebody moves off of that, they move into more of a modified keto, you know, not a strict 70, 20, 10, but it's they're moving away into a more moderate approach with perhaps more vegetables and balancing elements. So yeah, I mean, I think every diet serves a purpose. Again, I think people learn when they go through these paleo and there's a spectrum of each, right? There's a spectrum of what does it mean to be on a paleo diet? Does it mean that we make paleo cookies and paleo brownies or are we hardcore and not doing, you know, it's just funny because Lauren Cordain is the father of the Mm -hmm. paleo diet. And I was lecturing with him at a meeting, a huge conference, and (laughs) he made the comment from the stage how he's like, I never thought that what happened with the paleo diet has happened, which is like (laughs) almost a bastardization of like that original ancient concept, which now has moved into the commercialism of all of these marketing, these products, similar to gluten-free, how gluten-free has become just crazy in terms of all these high sugar, starchy junk food kind of products. But because it's gluten-free, people think it's okay. Anyway, I'm going off on that whole area, but... Uh, I can talk about that for hours. It's the whole commercialization. My God, my French today. Making money out of diet, right? So we're paleo this or keto bread or keto this. And it's just, it takes us away from the fundamental of what the therapeutic aspect of the diet was. Right. And what I really like of what you said, I want people, listeners to pay attention is the balance aspect of those diet. There's nothing wrong with a pure, well-balanced paleo diet or ketogenic diet. It's when we fall into the excess and we become unbalanced and excessive in that particular micronutrient and what that can do to our energy in our body. And the excess can bring us unbalanced emotionally and spiritually as well. Right. And the whole craving aspect of what you talked about with the keto is very interesting because that's what happened to most women when they tend to be on a ketogenic diet for too long. It's binges and cravings and overeating on carbohydrate. Yeah, because it's so out of balance, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that there is out there this tone that carbohydrates are evil. There is this thing like no carbohydrates. You should never eat carbohydrates. Like now the pendulum is swinging again in nutrition where we get into these absolutes. And I think that that dogma creates dysfunction, right? Because vegetables are carbohydrates. So come on, are we never supposed to have vegetables? And so oftentimes I shake my head when I hear people saying like no carbohydrate because we should specify, is it 
Do we mean no processed carbohydrates that are high in glycemic impact? You know, we need to just, I think where nutrition gets into trouble is when we don't honor the spectrum, the lineage and the full complexity of who we are and what food is, because it's, it's so much more and we're reducing it, reducing it to the point that we start to create errors. That is very true. So I want to get you on, before we run out of time, on a question that I've asked myself in observance of people that I've worked with and comments that I get on my podcast and my blog is the whole aspect of carbohydrate, what you just talked about, but either the not enough, like excess and not having enough and excess and having too much and that relating to what we call the yellow color or the solar plexus challenge, which is all link to in part the power of selves or the self-confidence and the knowing of who we are and the belief into who we are. Carbohydrate plays a role in that belief that we have in ourselves. Am I correct in your way of thinking? Yeah, you said it really well. So let me present it to the listeners as a symbol. Sometimes we have to think out of the box and think out of words on these things. So protein to me is like the earth. It's grounding. It really feels like, you know, there's something solid there. We put our feet on the earth. We feel connected. Fats and oils are connected to the water element. They tend to flow or not flow depending on what our needs are. Carbohydrates are fire. They're fire. It's mm -hmm. like, so either we are going to have a simmering blue flame of hot energy that burns constantly, maybe like a boiler or something will be heating water, or we're going to have a raging out of control feeling where we feel burnt out. I mean, even look at the terminology that we use in our mm -hmm. society to say how we feel with how we're doing. Oh, I'm burnt out. You know, I'm fried to a crisp. Mm -hmm. <laughs> what we end up doing is we're either eating the foods that are just those things because it's mirroring in some way our lives and vice versa. Our lives could be propelling us to choose those foods because we are burnt out and we have no energy to select anything else. So what I want to say to your listeners is think of carbohydrates as fire. Sometimes a little bit of fire is just what we need to give us a little spark, give us a little rev, give us a little inspiring burst of some type. We need to get that going. And then other times it's too raging. And I think we know because we can gauge it from our moods, our moods and our body. So when people eat, well, I'll tell you what I do for myself. For and it. this is just for me and not directed at anybody because I really do feel like everybody's body is so different. And so when you say, well, Deanna, what do we do with carbs? You know, it's so different depending on the moment, the day, who we are, where do we live? What else are we eating? Always remember that we have a larger context. But I do talk about eating the energy you want to become. Brilliant. I have to yeah. say, I love this sentence. Repeat that again. Eating Eat the energy you want to become. So if you're eating lots of processed carbohydrates, you're eating the energy of quick, fast, processed. Sometimes, you know, if we think of artificial sweeteners or sugars, you're eating artificial, you're becoming artificial. There are these symbols, you know, what is the food from its inner story perspective? Are we eating things that are grounding? 
things that are flowing, things that are fiery. If you think about it like that, rather than adhering to any particular number of grams, I just feel like when we look at the body as elemental, we just get a better feeling of it. So for me personally, I mean, I, when it comes to sweeteners and sugar and carbohydrate, I've tried so many diets. So I've done paleo, I've done keto, I've been a vegan for a while. I was a raw foodist. I was a flexitarian where I was more flexible. I did the elimination diet. I mean, any diet like this, I pretty much have have tried. And one of the things that I have felt is that, yeah, you know what? Sugar does throw me off, but certain sugars throw me off and certain foods that contain those sugars throw me off. And so what I found that works for my body is the healthy yellow sweetener honey. I can do honey. I can do dates. It's funny because my mom was a health nut when I was growing up. And I remember every time I wanted something sweet, because for me, sweets were my downfall. It Mm -hmm. wasn't ice cream or something. I mean, it's just anything sweet. It was like cookies and cakes and donuts. And, and every time I would say to my mom that I wanted something sweet, she would say, go have a date. You know, I'm like, I don't want a date. (laughs) But now here I am thinking like, wow, dates are really great. And now I know how to couple sweeteners with protein, right? So like a date with a couple of almonds to blunt any kind of glycemic response. But I think if we stick closer to whole foods rather than processed sugars and even I'm going to say something that's going to surprise a lot of people, but you know, stevia, it's in so many things. I don't think that there's anything really wrong with stevia other than the fact that it's a very high intensity sugar. Well, it's actually not a sugar. It's an herb, but it's high intensity sweet. And oftentimes it's our taste buds that are priming us and really connecting in. I mean, you probably know this already, but it's been found that we have taste sensors and receptors throughout our body. It's not just on our tongue. Mm -hmm. So it's just interesting. Will having high intensity things like stevia change our cravings? Will it make us crave more because we have this high intensity bar that we always come up against rather than switching to something like a whole food maybe like a puree or apple juice in a recipe, or I use molasses sometimes. So I never take anything away because even in Ayurvedic medicine, there is this concept of honoring the different tastes. And if you walk away from a meal and you haven't had something that connects to the energy of sweet, whether it's a strawberry or whatever it is, you might crave it because it's incomplete. So I never like the idea of just shutting something off. I just like to make a better choice if I can. Within the context of always what I preach is real food. Yeah. If the universe, God, whomever you believe into, has placed this element on this hurt like date for the human to consume, it cannot be intrinsically bad for us. The excess or not having enough of it can be challenging for us, but it's not a bad food. Otherwise, it would have not been put on this planet for us. Now, high fructose corn syrup is a whole different ballgame. Right. And that was the intervention of humans to make things more densely sweet. And, you know, I used to work for the food industry and there are, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of how do you make things taste better so people will buy them more. And I must say it's a two-way street. You stop buying those products, those companies are going to follow the dollar. So Mm -hmm. (laughs) they'll make other things, right? So they'll make paleo bread. 
They'll, <laughs> they'll make exactly. They'll create something else where we're going. <laughs> so I think colors is really one way that we can connect into like a solid message around food. And the fact of colors, the energy of those colors, which connect to the energy of those foods are all helping us in different ways. I teach this system now to practitioners. It's called food and spirit. And so the food part and then the spirit, kind of the lifestyle, what you get at, Stephanie, with this podcast, mm -hmm. right? It's not just what we eat. It's how we eat. It's when we eat. It's how we live. It's so really multi-layered and it's like a kaleidoscope. You know, we change one thing, we turn it one way, then the whole design changes. So you do teach that to practitioner in food and spirit, which if there's any, and I know there's starting to be a lot of health coaches listening to this podcast, I would invite you to go on, on Dr. Deanna's website, and I'll put the link in the show note at stephaniedozie.com slash 112. But what I want to make sure we cover before we end here is your new book, The Rainbow Diet, which is aimed at the average people. Yeah. I mean, all of my books are, mm -hmm. I mean, this is why I developed the certification program is because practitioners are like, Deanna, I love this. How do I do it? Because yeah. you know what? It's so hard for people to understand how to integrate psychology and physiology, yes. the body and the mind. And so, yeah, just again, I feel like that's my mission in this life is to really bridge these two things together to show how to make it practical. I'm a very practical, I'm an earth sign. So I'm all about practicality. <laughs> Okay. So yeah, I think in the rainbow diet, it's about how do you eat for color? What does the color represent? You take a quiz. The quiz will tell you which color to focus on. You're always changing. You could do the quiz every week and get a different result. You can do it every couple of days and get a different result. But typically, probably three to seven days is you're changing so much in terms of what you're working on. Sometimes it's more fast, sometimes it's more slow. So you do a quiz and then you're directed, either you can read the book from start to finish. This book has foods, eating, and supplements. I do think it's important to acknowledge the energy of supplements. I used to work in the supplement industry for 10 years. So I have a lot of, I guess, passion around proper education of how we use them. What is the energy of a calcium supplement? What do we look for? How does it align to the red part of us, as an example? Because it's structural. Like once mm -hmm. you start thinking symbolic, you can't unthink this way. Nope. <laughs> then everything starts to line up. <laughs> so that's what you'll see in the books. It's very practical in terms of looking at the seven systems. It will give you foods for each of them. It will give you recipes for each of the foods. And then it will give you the supplements and how to use the supplements. Like when should you be using it? When should you not be using it? How do you know if you're deficient? And Stephanie, I think you'll actually like this. I'm doing an in-depth course at the end of January, 2018. It's called Rainbow Foods and Supplements. And it's all about how to teach people to put the foods and supplements together. And it's done in a physical way, in an energetic way. It's much, much, much deeper than the book. In fact, it's been like months in the making of me pouring out my brain onto, wow. you know, paper. It's very thick and it will be experiential. And that's for anybody, by the way. It's just a higher end, higher knowledge. Like you wouldn't go into this course without knowing something about nutrition, because a lot of terms will be, I'll be talking about a lot of research studies, 
as much as I'll be talking about the energetics of food. So again, it's like a fusion of the two. I would say to you, that's the perfect segment for the advanced listener of this podcast who have been down the path of nutrition for the last five, 10 years. This is the course you want to go to, to combine what I've been talking about, which is the mindset and the nutrition. Yeah. That's the perfect place to go. Yeah, definitely. I am so looking forward to this course. I've been teaching for years and years, but this one is one that I feel like this culminates so much of what I've been knowing and feeling over these years and to put it in a very practical way. The Rainbow Diet is a good, it's a very basic book for many people who want an introduction to this concept, but the course is to go deeper for sure. So where can people, is it available yet for registration or going on a waiting list for the course? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. So if you go to my website, it's deannaminick.com, D-E-A-N-N-A-M-I-N-I-C-H.com. There is, if you look under programs, you can see the Rainbow Foods and Supplements course. There's a separate list there. You can see on the homepage, the Rainbow Diet. I mean, basically, that's my site that connects to all my cool. other work. Yeah. And then I have separate websites for the different books and all of that. But this site will give you everything you need to know if you want to reach out to me or get in touch in some way or and ask something, you can do that on that site as well. So I'll put the direct link when we finish the interview in the show note, that's stephaniedozier.com slash 112. So if you're interested okay. of looking up at the course or registering for it, you can do that for the listeners. So we're out of time. But I think me and you could talk for hours. <laughs> without the problem. I I'm realizing that. So it's I hope we get to talk again. This has been great. Yes. And I'm sure we will cross path hopefully in 2018 somewhere in a conference. And I look forward to have you on the Going to Beyond the Food Project Summit in 2018 as well. So thank you very much for being here, Dr. Deanna. Thank you so much. Take care. There you have it. I hope you enjoyed it. And I'm so glad you stuck around right to the end. And you're still here with me. If you did learn something and you enjoyed the show, there's a few things you can do right now to help me share this message with many more women. Number one, right from your listening device right now, if you're listening on an iPhone or an Android, you will see on the screen, there is a share button. If you can press that, you will be able to share it via social media, via email, so you can send it to somebody special in your life who needs to hear that message. Let's face it, when we talk about energy, food, colors, and chakra, this is not something that will be published on the front page of the New York Times. This is not going to sell a lot of products. So we need to do the grassroots movement together, all of us, to share this information. Maybe somebody share the information with you. It's time to pay back and share this amazing interview with Dr. Deanna Minich with women in your network. You can also leave me a review, which I thoroughly enjoy and read every one of them. It's like my fuel to doing this work. So please leave me a review on your application right now. And we have a great show coming up in episode 113-113. Dr. Rana Epson is going to talk to us about the concept of satisfaction. How, what does it mean? 
How do we become more satisfied so we can overcome the power of food? And she's got some pretty neat point of view that I can't wait to share with you. Again, I'm so glad you were able to be here with me and with Dr. Deanna. I love you and I'll see you on the next show.